0: Bibles were in Nehemiah chapter five and six this evening. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Richard will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Nehemiah chapter five and six tonight. I think Stephen doing that on purpose, Richard. <laughs> Someone over here needs one too. No, just kidding. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, sweet time of worship this evening, Lord. This opportunity just to be able to settle our hearts, Lord, and to come in this place that's uh, safe, Lord. It's a refuge and to be able to just worship you freely and now to be able to just get into your word. And we ask your blessing upon our time, Lord. We praise you for it. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm really impressed with Nehemiah's life. I mean, studying this book and looking at this guy, he's really successful in everything that he does. He's impressive. So much so that it annoys me, you know. I mean, it's like, man, everything, you're going well. You know, it's like watching a good piano player play, you know, and they just play the thing and go, man. I wish I could do that, you know, just do these things, or a good carpenter, whatever. But that can bug us. But I think with Nehemiah, it shouldn't because the substance of Nehemiah's successful life is available to all of us. And that's the thing that that really made Nehemiah who he really is. Uh, Number one, for example, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. So if you want to be successful in all you do, prayer is an important part. We saw that in chapter one. You know, he prayed in the first chapter, he prayed in the second chapter, in the fourth chapter, and here again we'll see in the fifth chapter he's praying. He just didn't, he just didn't talk about prayer, he prayed. And then also, we've been looking at Nehemiah, he persevered. He didn't give up. Remember in chapter 4, the walls were halfway done in height, and what did Nehemiah do? He didn't look at the walls as being half as height, or as the glass half, half empty. He saw it as half full. They were almost done. And he encouraged the folks Man, they have the same attitude, come on, we're halfway there. Not, oh, no, we're never going to get done. So he had perseverance. Are there things even today that you're maybe halfway done with, and, and a part of your heart you're saying, oh, I can't do this anymore. Let me encourage you. When the Lord is calling you to do something, He's faithful to give you what you need to complete it. And to give you encouragement along the way. That's what Nehemiah was doing, trusting in and calling on God and the provision of God, and, and in turn he prayed and, and persevered. And we closed last week, and we saw that the people were committed to the task before them, that they worked on the wall by day and guarded it by night. And Nehemiah said they were so busy working that they didn't even have time to, to change their clothes. But then he humorously adds, that they except they took them off for washing. I think, okay, that's great, you know. I think it shows us a little bit of Nehemiah's personality. So often you don't really know the character, the Bible character's personality. But here, you know, he says, hey, okay, okay we didn't wash the clothes, all right? We, we kept them clean. That brings us now to chapter 5. They've been working steadily, rebuilding the walls. The enemy continued to attack in different ways. First the enemy laughed at the Jews, you remember that. Then they uh, ridiculed them, saying things like, well, a fox could knock down your wall, Finally, there was just that open opposition against them, so much so that Nehemiah had the builders put a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other as they worked on the wall. Well, now chapter 5 opens up just a little differently. Opposition starts to come from within. Now, that's where, where the devil strikes his greatest blow. In the history of the church, we've seen that when the devil could not destroy the church by persecution, one day he joins the church, you know, and then compromise comes in, and, and that's what happens. And, and really the devil had already caused discouragement among the Jews, and now he goes a step further, and he's causing conflict with them. Look at verse 1 now of chapter 5. And there's a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There are also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There are also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them for other men have had, have our lands and vineyards. So what we're seeing here and what I believe we're seeing here is the, the green-eyed monster. that There's greed happening there and the, the ghost building the wall, you know, they, they, it was affecting them the most. There were those holding back the grain from their from their own brothers. They had borrowed money. They took mortgages out in order to help them build the wall but now the mortgage company, so to speak, the ones they borrowed the money from, they're, they're hiking up the interest rates so much so that they couldn't afford the payment and had let their sons and daughters become slaves and on top of that, No way of redeeming the sons and daughters from slavery because they had no money. It was horrible. They're being ripped off. They're being oppressed. See, the enemy on the outside had not been able to harm the Jews as long as there was that love and harmony within, but now there's a conflict going on. Same conflict we see, remember, in the early church. I think of Ananias and Sapphira, the couple that had conspired to deceive the church by saying, oh, we gave all of our money to the church. Here it is. But they secretly held back some money and and, uh They were judged by God with sudden death. Well, here in Nehemiah 5, it seems as though those with business education, those who understood the value of marketing schemes have come and they've taken advantage of the fellow believers. They're greedy, they're using this as a money-making opportunity. You know, it's, it's much like years ago, and I don't know if it's still around, but, but years ago, people would come into the church, and they would meet you, and they'd talk to you, and, and you'd, you know, soon they'd invite you over, hey, come on over for dinner, they'd go, well, I like this couple, this is pretty good, and you get over, and you're having dinner with them, and, and you're eating, and then they bring out dessert, and then they go, well, we want to tell you about something we're into. And the Amway, you know, it's like, oh. And you realize you've been hoodwinked, you know, it's like, I, th- I thought we were just getting along and having, you want to sell me something. And people, you know, they were years ago, I don't know if they still, they're using the phone list in the churches to, to, to make money. I think the problem with that is, is that the church no longer becomes that safe haven. No longer becomes that retreat. Because now you're afraid you're going to run into somebody who's going to try and sell you something. Oh no, no, they're not going to be there tonight. And we start avoiding, you know, doing not you greatly avoid people. I mean, think about how frustrating it is when you get that telemarketing phone call at 6 o'clock at night while you're eating dinner. I mean, you can just hang up on them. But if it happens inside the church, you, know, you can't hang up on them. You know, And so there's, all this stuff is going on, and, and, and there's division with it. So what does Nehemiah do? Look at verse 6. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Man, I, I can understand that. I mean, it would make me very angry to hear that someone's coming in our church and ripping people off. So what does he do next? Well, in the next few verses, he does four things, if you're taking notes. Number one, and we'll look at them individually, he rebukes them, then he corrects them. Number three, he holds them accountable. Number four, he teaches them. Number one, he rebukes them. Look at verse seven. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Now, stop there. That word rebuke in verse 7 means to strike or to chop wood. It's kind of a picture of a lumberjack. and He's got his big old axe and he's ready to just bring the axe down. It's raised high, man. Boom, it's going to come down. That's what the, the, the word rebuke is like, bringing down the hammer. Now, that may sound a, a little bit harsh, but it's a biblical principle. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 that to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching. And there will be times in the body of Christ that a word of rebuke will come, you know, from up here behind the pulpit, and it will be like this spiritual hammer that strikes your heart. You go, oh, man, I don't like that. Now, I want you to know that it hits me before it hits you because I'm studying for it. I go, Lord, I don't like that, but man, they're going to get it now because I got it. Man. They're going to get it. But it's because when I'm called to teach the Word of God, from time to time, you may hear something. It's going to go, ouch. Man, that's convicting. That kind of hurts. It's that rebuke. We had a guy back in the high desert church that I came from years ago, and he would say, ouch, whenever this point came across. You know, it's like, is there a good point, oh, ouch. You know, it's like, Come on. <laughs> you know, and they do it at an inappropriate times. But I kind of understand what he's saying because there are times where you're, you're, you know, you're going through the Bible and all of a sudden you go, ouch. I mean, that's really convicting. Well, this is Nehemiah. He's rebuking these guys and he's basically saying, what is going on with you guys? We've, we've redeemed our Jewish relatives once from slavery and now you want to sell them back into slavery again? Now, there's a couple ways to receive a word of rebuke. One is to Rebuke those that rebuke you. <laughs> That's not the right way. Yeah. Oh yeah? Well, you did this and that. You know, and that happens I think from time to time when because you've been caught, you've been exposed, and if you don't allow the Spirit of God to work in your life through that word of rebuke or through God's word, then that defense mechanism kicks in and and, and it moves to denial. Oh, it's not me, and I never, and then, and you don't understand. It's like the old saying: If you throw a rock into the pack of dogs, it's the, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. You know, But our right reaction should be, when dealing with re- rebuke, is that you really have nothing to say. I mean, you're caught. You- you've been exposed. You-, you need to seek to repent. And that's what we see at the end of verse 8. It says, then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And you can just picture them. What do you guys do when you're ripping into the... Oh, <laughs> we've been caught, you know. So, number one, Nehemiah rebuked them. Number two, he corrects them. Look at verse 9. Then I said... What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. might says, first of all, <laughs> you're being a reproach to these enemies. I mean, they're looking at less than going. I look at them, they're ripping people off. You know, they're not any better. And then on top of this, he says, I'm trying to help them out. And in so doing, you're actually ripping me off in the process. Because I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money. Then he says, Please, let's let's stop this usury. Then, verse 11, Restore now to them, even this day, their land, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil, that you have charged them. See, he moves from rebuke to correction. Now, correction should lead to re- recompense. Let me say that again. Correction should lead to recompense when possible. See, Nehemiah is saying, listen, if you truly repent, if you feel bad about what you're doing, then pay it back. Pay back what you, you ripped off. It's like the man who found $1,000 in a wallet on the ground. He, he returned the wallet and said, here's your wallet, you know, that you lost. I spent $1,000, you know, sorry, you know, sorry about that. No, it's not good enough. You know, you, you owe that person $1,000. That's what Nehemiah is saying here. Prove that you're willing to change by giving the money back. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you really feel, you know, you've done something wrong, then, then prove it by, by doing what is right. It's an amazing thing when someone encounters Christ and they sense their guilt and they sense their condemnation is gone. Many will automatically look for the opportunity to respond, you know, in repentance. Examples of that in Scripture in the New Testament, you know, Zacchaeus, Luke 19, he's one of them. You know, he was a, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And, and, uh, but he also was a tax collector. And he ripped people off. And Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, hey, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. So what does Zacchaeus do? Well, he fills the conviction. Because Jesus represents all that is, is holy and righteous. And now he's coming to his life. And so Zacchaeus says, listen, I'm going to give everything I took back. Now Jesus didn't ask him to do it. But Zacchaeus said, I want to. In fact, I want to give it back with interest. Again, Jesus would say, I didn't ask you to, but to see anyone who comes in contact with Jesus Christ and, and, and repented first, then the, the automatic reaction is out of recompense, a desire to make things right. Now, you always can't do that. You know, you, some of you had maybe horrible lives before you came to Christ, and, and, you know, it's just beyond your ability to make recompense, but, but we should try. And, and here in verse 12, they do look at verse 12. So they said, we will restore it, and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. that's great. But then Nehemiah goes on to number three. Uh, Nehemiah holds them accountable. Look at verse 12. Then I called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. I love this. First Nehemiah rebukes them. Then he says, Okay, now I'm going to correct you. And now third he says, I'm going to hold you accountable going to hold you accountable you want to walk right with the lord you want to walk right now and in front of i want you then to take this this oath in front of this priest the the previous priest i want you to make this pact with god and here's the pact that you got to make and he's basically repeat after me i will pay back everybody i ripped off i will pay back everybody i ripped off now say this if i don't pay back if i don't pay back may god shake me out like a piece of fuzz in the garment and destroy me that's what he's saying it's like he sticks his hand in his pocket and he gets some of that pocket fuzz out and says, See this pocket fuzz I have here, throws it down on the ground. If you don't pay back, what you know, God God is gonna do the same thing to you. He rebukes them, he corrects them, and he holds them accountable. Verse thirteen, the result, and all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did according to this promise. I love it. They have the desire in their hearts to do what is right, shows they're on the right track. But there's more. He just didn't stop there with the rebuke with the correction, and with the accountability, then he goes on to teach them by example. This is great. Nehemiah, the leader that God had called him to be, was ready, as Paul said in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, exhort with all own suffering and teaching. Now is the time for teaching. Uh, Look at verse 14. He he says, says, look to my example. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, Neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for their work. And at my table were one hundred and fifty Jews and rulers besides those who came up to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, and six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. In spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. So what is Nehemiah saying here? Nehemiah is saying, hey, let me tell you why I have this reason and the power to come here and rebuke and correct and hold you accountable You need to learn this. This is what I want to teach you, that I I practice what I preach, is what he's saying. I practice what I preach. See, Nehemiah, like Daniel, and a handful of other guys in the Bible, is doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's leading by example. He's teaching them to follow his example. But listen, if you're not living a godly life as you should be, and you're going around telling somebody how to live live a godly life, you you have no room to talk. If you're living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend outside of marriage, you have no right to tell someone else, hey, you guys, guys shouldn't be living together. See, that's what he's saying here. He says, I've asked them not to take advantage of the people because I don't take advantage of the people. I don't rip them off, so you shouldn't rip them off. And he says, I had plenty of opportunity to do it, and I didn't do it. So he's given them this teaching. He rebuked them, he corrected them, he held them accountable and he taught them by example. And then the same thing is due within the church. You know, if we see someone, a brother overtaken in a sin, overtaken in a fault, we we rebuke them gently, we, you know, correct them, we hold them accountable and then we teach them, hey, this is what God's Word said and, and you come alongside of them. But we've got to make sure our example is right before them. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven eleven one, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So, all is fine in the camp, so we think. The enemy stopped attacking on the outside because they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. The enemy couldn't defeat them on the inside because they humbled themselves and received the rebuke, the correction, the accountability, and the teaching. So what's left to do? Now the enemy goes after the guy in charge. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and that there were no breaks left in it, though at this time it had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, But they thought to do me harm. Now, Nehemiah knew something was up. He, you know, he says, they thought to do me harm, so he says, Oh, no, I'm not going to Ono. Oh, no, not going to do it. So under Nehemiah's leadership, You know, the people completed the rebuilding of the walls and all that was left to do was the restoration of the gates and the strengthening of the community within the walls. Just the last few, you know, minute fixes. So, since Sambalot and his friends had failed miserably in their attempts to to stop the people from working, since they couldn't defeat them on the inside, they decided to put all their attacks on the leader, on Nehemiah. If they could eliminate Nehemiah tempting him in some way, lure him in some way, you know, they could get their foot in the door and before it would be too late, all the work would be done and all the, the stuff that they did would just have been for naught. So they offered to meet Nehemiah in a village halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria, a quiet place where they could make plans on, on how to work together, how to, to get along. And Nehemiah knows it's a trap, they, you know, they want him to compromise. Come on, Nehemiah, we're, we're willing to meet you halfway don't be an unfriendly neighbor, and is that what the world does with us? Oh, come on! Why do you have to go to church all the time? Come on, just halfway, just just don't come out on Wednesday night, I, I mean, Let's go over here and let's just go do this, and, and and we find this happening. Now again, the the plan was for their foot to get to their foot in the door, and cause Nehemiah to compromise. They would have him; it would all be, be over. And so, you know, we see that the same thing happening today. Maybe over the years in ministry, you know, I've seen, you've seen men in leadership, pastors that have fallen, large churches, mega churches, where pastors have compromised and they're no longer in ministry. And I really, I have to say this, I think that the average person doesn't realize the tremendous pressures and testings that that people experience day after day in places of leadership. And maybe you're in a place of leadership in your job. Leaders are, are blamed for things they don't do and criticized for things they, cry, they try to do. They're misquoted. They're misunderstood. They, they're rarely given the opportunity to set the, the record straight. If they act quickly, they're reckless. If they take their time, they're cowardly or unconcerned. But I, I, I think of the words of President, President Harry Truman, if you can't stand the heat, then get out of the kitchen. Listen, because in places of spiritual leadership, you know, not only have the pressures that all leaders face, but they, they must also battle the real enemy, who is the master deceiver, or murderer, who focuses his, his attacks on the leadership. And Satan comes along and, as either a serpent who deceives or as a, or as a lion who devours and, and, and a murderer, and, and he focuses on the leadership. All the more, I think we should be praying for those in leadership today. I think of Franklin Graham, man, he has been outspoken for the Lord. For this election coming up, going from state to state, holding these prayer rallies, and and, man, you you see his post on on, on, on the media, you know, social media, and, and it's all about the Lord. Hey man, we need to pray for this guy. I think of Pastor Greg Laurie, you know, the the huge impact that that Harvest Crusades have. And uh, you know, I think of Chris Tomlin, you know, a, a leader in Christian music. He's America's worship leader. These men have stood up, you know, for the Lord in a big way, making a huge impact for the our country for Christ. They need our prayers. But notice also when the attacks against Nehemiah took place, when he was on the threshold of completing the most important task of his life. I mean, they're getting ready to dedicate the wall just to have it all finished, and now the enemy comes in and says, oh, come on, you know, we're going to try and get you. So The temptation to compromise will often come when the task is almost at its end. And the invitation to compromise begins with a personal request. Again, they say, hey, come meet us together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Sounds friendly. You know, let's, uh, let's have some unity, okay? Now, the plain of Ono was 20 miles north of Jerusalem, it would have taken a day to get there, a day to meet, and a day to get back. But the meeting wasn't the point. The point was Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem knew that for me Nehemiah to go to Oho, oh no, rather, he would have to walk right through the area that was surrounded by his enemies. It was, it was a trap. Very easily uh, would have been for him to arrange an attack against Nehemiah and then just blamed it on an accident. But I love that, that God gave Nehemiah that special discernment. He knew that they were out to get him. Now, how did Nehemiah know that? Well, how did he know it was a trap? I mean, how could he not know? All he had to do was look at their track record. How do you know that the devil is out to harm you? Look at his track record. <laughs> I mean, he's always after us. He's always tempting us to compromise, to give into to temptation. But I also believe that, that God gives his children that discernment. And he expects us to exercise that gift. Just as one person has a measure of faith, I believe each person is given a measure of discernment. The definition of discernment is to perceive by sight or by some other sense, to recognize and determine a course of action. It means to distinguish two different things and make a choice. We're forced to have discernment in this upcoming election, are we not? We have to go, okay, you know, I don't like either choice. Lord, give me discernment. Lord, I need to vote for principles. What, what candidate is the one that, that can best support godly principles in our country? Even if it's one or two compared to none, I'll take that, whatever it is. Nehemiah, our discernment rather, is, is, a, is a gift that God gives to us to make those wise decisions. We certainly need to be praying for it now. So Nehemiah responds, look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Now he's not being dishonest. He knows there's trouble down there, but he he says, listen, I'm not gonna get distracted from this work, I'm not gonna go. But some people, they won't take no for an answer, look at verse 4, but they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Each time, come to oh no, no no, not gonna go to oh no. (laughs) He refused to be intimidated. God gave him the work to do, he would not leave it, it was a matter of principle. The work on the walls was God's appointed time for him to do that. Now what does that mean for us? Listen, God has a work for you, has a work for me. We must make that our priority, our first priority. Whatever God has called us to do, we can be easily sidetracked by, by interesting things, by important things, but by good things, but we must ask ourselves, what is it that God has called us to do? I know he's all called us to, 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 to make disciples of men, to win people to Christ. That that should be first and foremost on our list. And if we get sidetracked by, you know, arguing over end time stuff or getting over, you know, once saved, always saved, or can you lose yourself? salvation? Getting all these other side things and we lose focus on winning people to Christ, then we're not doing what God has called us to do. Nehemiah says, I'm not going anywhere. So the enemy tries another attack. This time Lies. Let's, let's attack Nehemiah's character. Look at verses 5 through 9. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah." Now, these matters will be reported to the king, so, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. What a stinking liar. <laughs> I mean, the situation here was such that, that anyone and everyone would be able to have access to the words being said and these accusations being leveled against Nehemiah. You know, this is like posting it on the, on the Internet. I mean, this little thing of what he just said in that, those few verses right there. So what's the accusation? What's the rumor? Well, let's read between the lines for a moment. Basically, what he's saying is that because you refuse to come down and meet with us, that means you're up to no good. And you're going to set yourself up as king in Jerusalem. And we, and we know you wanted that all along. And that's why you have all these people around you. And you've hired prophets. And, and we're going to tell on you. We're going to go tell King Artaxerxes. Total blatant lies they were spreading. Such a, a classic example of a rumor, though. I mean, look at verse 6. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says so too. I mean, that's a perfect rumor. Well, someone said this, and, and, and Keshem agrees. This guy, he agrees with it, so, so it's got to be right. Oh, yeah. Well, who said it first? Well, I can't tell you. But it's true. you ever notice when you're dealing with, with a rumor, and you go, well, well, who said that? Oh, well, I just can't tell you. You know, it's seldom revealed. See, a rumor has one goal, to hurt or to conceal. To leave a person with an unclear picture. And that's what this rumor was designed to do, just that, to hurt Nehemiah. Now again, it seems as though Nehemiah is stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, if he refuses to go to Ono, it's like admitting, I'm afraid the truth will come out. If he does go, the work will cease, at least momentarily, and he may be kidnapped or killed. So what do you do? It's kind of like when someone says, have you stopped beating your wife? I mean, if you say yes, and everyone will think you've been beating your wife, and you say no, then they'll think you're still beating your wife. You know, it's a, it's a quick question. Not that you should be beating your wife or not beating your wife, but, but but Nehemiah knew exactly what they were trying to do. You know, he knew that they were, they were trying to get him in a place where, where they could trip him up, but he had divine wisdom, and he answered accordingly. Look at verse 8. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I love this. I mean, Nehemiah knew what tactics they were doing. It didn't bother him. It didn't scare him. What did he do? Just a simple denial and a prayer. I love it. Not a long explanation. Not a long denial. Not a long Justification. He didn't say, well, you know, I would never go to the king because the king was my good friends and and we had this. And and, and he didn't go on and on and on with that. He just said, it's not true. Then he prayed, God strengthen my hands. I like that. You know, David kind of said the same thing in Psalm 31, verses 13 and 14. He says, for I hear the slander of many, fears on every side, while they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. I don't care. You can say what you want. I trust in the Lord. See, Nehemiah didn't buy into it. He resisted. So it didn't work. You know, the enemy of our souls is relentless. And 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 they come after Nehemiah again. This time, now they want to bring in a so-called religious expert. Okay, now they got a rumor. That didn't work out. So we're going to bring in a religious expert, kind of like the History Channel. Look at verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleiah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. Oh, shemiah that's how we'll call him, was both a prophet and a priest. He spoke as if he got this word from the Lord. God Reveal to me that, that these guys are after you and you need to come in and hide in the temple. Listen folks, be careful when someone says they have a word from the Lord for you. I mean, sometimes it's possible. You know, you have to judge through scripture, but, but for me, and for the most part, more often than not, you know, it's someone's personal opinion in some way of, of that person will benefit from what he's saying to you. You know, I have a word from the Lord. Give me your car. I have a word from the Lord. Get lost, okay? (laughs) Nehemiah received the invitation from a religious leader and it sounded so pious, so religious. What was he asking Nehemiah to do? Well, he was asking Nehemiah to go within the temple. He was asking him to do something that was illegal. According to Exodus 21, for a non-priest to enter the court of the priest was, was illegal. So this so-called prophet and priest was suggesting Nehemiah go to the place where only the priests were allowed to go. Here's my point. Beware when people suggest you to solve problems by violating Scripture. By violating Scripture. To have you do something that God tells you not to do. Hey, this is the way out of your problem. You need to do this. Well, it doesn't line up with Scripture. Oh, no, I know, but this is going to work. No, don't go down that path. But again, Nehemiah was given the gift of discernment. Look at verse 11. And he says, Should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Again, Nehemiah says in verse 12, I perceived again, the word I discern. He knew they were out to get him. But here's what they didn't know. They didn't know that Nehemiah knew he was called by God to protect the people. He was called by God to be the governor. Uh, You know, he wasn't about to go turn against God's word and go hiding in the temple over some threat. So he didn't fall for it at all. Instead, what did he do? He prays. Look at verse 14. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalot According to these, their works, and the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have made me afraid. You know, he just says, you know what, I'm praying for justice. I'm praying for justice. Lord, you know, remember these guys. You know, I think of Paul, in this letter to Timothy, where he said in 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of Him, for He has greatly resisted our words. There have been times I, I've said, Lord, repay them according to their works. But Lord, don't repay me according to my works. You know, See, There will always be people that, that the enemy will use to discourage you and oppose the work that God wants to do in your life. An enemy will will attack you on the outside, he'll try and infiltrate you on the inside, and if that doesn't work, he'll seek to to tear you apart, or or he'll be a part of you to join the church. If you can't beat him, join him to compromise. Whatever he can do to destroy the work because he hates God and God loves you and he hates whatever God loves. But throughout the building of this wall, God was faithful, God gave Nehemiah the gift of discernment because God is the one that called him to accomplish this work. And the same thing is true for each one of us here this evening. The work that God has called us to do. Yes, there's going to be attacks. But, but the Lord will stand with us and for us and strengthen us. Look at verse 15. We read, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in the 50, in 52 days. That'd be somewhere around September 1st. It was started somewhere around the 10th of July. But what an accomplishment. That final brick was laid. That final gate was Put up there, Nehemiah, man, he was attacked from every angle, but continued steadfast in the work of God that God called him to do. And the result, look at verse 16. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Don't you just love that? I love it. When they saw that it all happened, they thought, no way, how could they have done this? It had to be their God. I love it. Then there's a side note look at verse 17 through 19. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he saw he was a son in law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehodanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berichiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So he's just going, okay. Just on a side note, these guys were sending letters back and forth. And this Tobiah guy, he just wanted to frighten me. But you know what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The work was completed. See, Sambalot, Tobiah, they go down in history as fools because they foolishly and, they, and arrogantly tried to, to hinder the work of God. Nehemiah, on the other hand, goes down in history as a great man, not because he was perfect, but because he persevered in the calling God had given to. And, and the wall was finished. See, while the enemy blasts, God builds, and God is glorified. Now, why is that so important today? Because it is impossible to do the will of God to walk by faith and to build that wall without facing attacks. You know, we're going to be attacked. And, and you know, I I used to think when I was young, well, later on in life, you know, I get later on in ministry, the attacks will slow down just a little bit. You know, it won't be so bad. You know what? He, He... Picks up his attacks, doesn't he? I mean, there are more and more. But I'm re- reminded of, of, of what I'm told in First John four four: Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we must never give up. We must not stop fighting. We must always use discernment, trusting the Lord. To uh, remember the words of Winston Churchill: Never give in. Never, 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 never give in. See if honor's at stake. If a good principle is at stake, and most importantly, if you know that you're in God's will, don't give up. And God will be glorified. Even the unbelievers will have to proclaim that this work was done by our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night tonight, Lord. And we thank you for uh, just this example of Nehemiah, Lord, and how he kept his heart and mind focused on you, Lord. That you've given him discernment in making those wise decisions. And Father, we have an election coming up and we have decisions to be made. And Lord, we have a goal and a purpose and to build that wall and that wall is to, to be faithful to reaching those with the hope of salvation through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, our desire is to see that accomplished, Lord. And so would You give us discernment, Lord, in making the right decisions to vote. Lord, I pray that every man and woman here uh, this evening, Lord, would vote would make their vote matter, Lord, and, 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 Lord, that they would take that step to do what, what we've been called to do. But, Lord, in the process, we recognize, Lord, that the, we, we have one goal, and that is to serve you and to lift you up, Lord. And so that's what we, we desire to do, Lord. Help us, even in the face of difficulties and the attacks from the enemies, to not get sidetracked, Lord, to not compromise, but to stay focused. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and do one last song together.